Catherine O'Brien, welcome back to PodLogic. Thank you, Johnny Peterson. So glad to be back and talking with you. Round two. So for the listeners who are new to the show, Catherine joined, I think you may have been my second guest or my first guest. I t- The only people I've interviewed have really been uh, the, the podcast producer group, which I've talked about on this podcast before, and then maybe one other host from a show that I worked on. But when we the first, rare few. Or the rare few, yeah. <laughs> So when we first chatted, it was probably two or three weeks into the pandemic where I, small tangent, my favorite thing, something I've been thinking about a lot, which is an idea to bring people back onto the show for the listeners. The goal here for today is to just talk to Catherine about one, what Branch Out Programs does so that people listening who are struggling with the content side of their podcast, which is what Catherine, I, I always pitch people when I refer people to you as the content wizard of podcasting. <laughs> or is it is it witch since you're a woman? How dare you, Johnny Peterson? <laughs> <laughs> you just say maven. That's a that's The content a more... maven. I love that. Mm. Um, to talk about what Branch Out Programs does, what your thought process was going into 2020, how your business changed through the pandemic, what your thoughts are on podcasting going forward. But there's really no, I don't have any questions lined up. This is just going to be a conversation because I also want to toot my own horn and talk about myself and how my business has changed throughout COVID. But my small tangent is I remember watching, uh, I'm a big Rogan listener, so that'll get me canceled right off the bat. But (laughs) I remember when the pandemic first started and Rogan started having a lot of his kind of core group of people back on. So it's like his really close comedian buddies like Brian Callen, Tom Segura, Joey Diaz. And reading the comments on YouTube, this was pre-Spotify deal. He was, all the comments were just saying like everyone, they just look so like scared and awkward and just like Mm -hmm. they can't be funny because it was such a scary time. And thank God it wasn't as terrible. You know, COVID was an awful thing, but it wasn't as, you know, it wasn't this world ending thing that people were predicting it to be. And that happened to everybody, not just those people on that podcast. So when we chatted, we were all kind of in this weird limbo area, both with our personal lives and our businesses. So walk me through when you first realized that COVID was going to be a real thing. I know we were all hearing bits and pieces about it from, you know, people that we listen to on the news or if you get your news from alternative sources, alternative sources, that's sort of where we were starting to hear bits and pieces about it. I remember hearing about it from Tim Pool in like January of 2020. He's like, "Hey, there's a virus going out in China. There's this is getting real. I I think it's going to hit America." And I was like, "Oh, come on, Tim. Like we're we're the United States. This isn't going to affect us." So, walk me through what your first experience was when all of this went down? Well, I I have a similar path that you were just describing where it was like you're hearing little rumblings of things, but I I really didn't really know what to expect until I will not forget the date. It was a Friday the 13th in March and our governor in here in Louisiana declared a state of emergency. And this is when we first were introduced to the terminology of 15 days to slow the spread. <laughs> Words that will live in infamy. I, I What I think is, uh, one of the things I think is really interesting is I live in, I now live in Louisiana. I previously lived in California. Both states have their own version of natural disasters. We had in California, earthquake, th- threat of earthquakes. And Here wildfires. In Louisiana, 
And yeah, thank you. And wildfires. Okay, so two, lots of lots of different types of calamities that we could have. And then here in Louisiana, of course, hurricanes is one of our big threats plus flooding. Both of those, all of those disasters, I have a language and an understanding for. So with the earthquakes, we know to get under desks or get next to a, a large object or get into doorways. With hurricanes, we know to stay, you know, when, when they tell you to evacuate, you evacuate, things like that. I realized for a pandemic, I had zero knowledge. I had zero language. I had, I had never heard the phrase social distancing, none of these things. And I thought, huh, isn't that interesting that for something that could affect our society so deeply, I had never had any sort of education or introduction to how we might adapt to something or how we would deal with something like that. So uh, just on that, uh, that was a very curious thing to me. And maybe it speaks a little bit to your, that's not going to affect us. We're here in the United States. I wonder now if if having had a little bit of an education on, you know, from our, throughout our whole lives, like what a, what a society does when a pandemic hits, that might have actually been helpful because that would have, I think, maybe set the tone and had more of a sense of appropriate response. We might not, might have had a little bit more of a, a belief if we had had a little more education uh, just in general. What are your thoughts on that, about that? I agree. I think, and it's interesting too, because we lived through, technically lived through H1N1, Ebola, swine flu. So this isn't the first quote unquote pandemic that's happened, mm. but this is the first one that's had this level of an impact on our society and on our day-to-day lives. And in my experience, it was, I was in Hawaii for two weeks uh, visiting Lauren's family. So we were out there. Her brother was with us who is was in college at the time. And we kept hearing more and more about it every single day. And we were kind of just like in this protective vacation bubble. We're like, oh, it can't get us. We're on vacation in Hawaii. You know, like this will be fine. (laughs) Everything will be fine. If we just don't pay attention to it, it'll go away. And then on maybe a few days before we were slated to go home, her brother's classes got all moved online. And now a year and a half into this, that's no big deal. Everyone does pretty much everything online. Sure. But at the time, that was a really radical shift. And that was kind of a huge wake up call. And so we were like, okay, when we and the 15 days, 15 days to slow the spread was starting to pick up traction when we got back and we were like, all right, we got to hunker down and and not go anywhere. So in some ways, this will be a good thing because, you know, a lot of things could happen. You know, there's no tomorrow is not granted. So having the experience of living through something like this, I think will make us stronger for the future. We'll have a better kind of, uh, I, I've, I like the phrase that people have used is that this was kind of a dress rehearsal for a real catastrophe that could happen. Mm. So I'm not really sure. I'm glad that we're on, the, I'm glad that we're in, I'm glad that we're walking through the exit door of all of this though. And I think, and I don't I, think that that can be disputed at this point. We are, we are at the end of this thing and we're on the way out. Turning things to professionally, one of the things that I, and I, I totally got caught up on this, I will admit it, is I, I think that there was a conventional wisdom idea in podcasting, especially from people from our side of things, the creators of podcasts, is that, oh yes, this, this, 
15 days was going to be something that brought in listeners. The downloads were just going to explode. Everybody's at home. They're going to be listening. Oh my gosh, it's going to be just a bonanza for the podcast world. And what happened? The exact opposite. There was a complete drop off in downloads. Everybody was like, what is happening? You know, our, what we thought was going to happen totally didn't. Where were all the downloads that were supposed to happen because people were in lockdown? And I, I, I believe either you... I, I definitely went to the... I'm a big fan of Edison Research and all the webinars that they have and um, the share of ear and all, every, every webinar that they host, I will... I try to listen to. And they were... They, that was one of the topics is... Hey, we're not getting people, everybody, the entire podcast world is having the same experience where the downloads are not there. But all was not lost because it really was an adjustment. People got built in new listening habits. They where they had their previous listening habits of like where they listen and when they listen. It just went through a little bit of a blip. And eventually things got back to back on track where we started seeing downloads come up. I know that you and I know that there have been a, just a tremendous number of shows launched. So we there's a great number of new podcasts that are available, people who launched during the pandemic or just before and have been able to su sustain themselves through the past year. So the the dire sort of the bonanza didn't happen and then the complete implosion didn't happen, thankfully. And it's been very interesting to watch the adaptation of podcasting through something like 2020. I agree. I think we collectively as an industry thought that podcasting would be something that's bulletproof from this. And I think that my personal thought is that the reason we didn't see those initial like immediate boost and downloads is that one, we assume that more people knew about podcasting. And I just don't think that that was the case. I think that like everything else, it took time for people. It definitely was an accelerant. It definitely brought, ultimately, in the long run, brought a lot of people to podcasting, both from the hosting side, launching new shows, and listeners. So many more people now that I talk to are like, oh, I love listening to podcasts. Tell me more about what you do. And the other thought that I have is that people were just scared, I think. And their first mind wasn't, What's this new medium called podcasting? Why don't I start listening to this? I got nothing to do. I think people were more concerned about, am I going to die? Is my family, yeah. are my family members right. going to, you know, are, are they going to be safe? Things like that. So tell me about Branch Out and mm. what brought you to starting Branch Out. This is all pre-COVID. We'll get into how COVID has changed things for you. But tell me pre-COVID, pre the initial ideas for Branch Out. You obviously started this well before COVID came about. Right. What was the idea for getting into podcasting? How did branch out? I want to know the, the the story of how you came up with the name and what your goals were when you started the business. Uh, besides take over the entire podcasting world. Yes, yes, that was the top goal. But other than that, I've been involved in a group called Toastmasters for about 10 years now, which is the world's largest communication and leadership organization. They have an emphasis on public speaking. And when I started with Toastmasters, Podcasting was in some ways in its infancy. There weren't, there's not nearly the number of podcasts that were available. There's a couple of the original OG podcasters involved. And anyway, I when I was in Toastmasters, you meet a lot of people who are wanting to become speakers, 
professionally or that they are adding speaking to their existing business. And I was a huge fan of the podcast, these new podcasts. And I could see that there was this opportunity for people who wanted to speak. Uh, audio products do, I don't know if you remember that used to be a really big thing is having audio products if you are a speaker or is a part of your business, audio courses, those types of things. And so I saw this opportunity with people who are just getting into speaking and who might want to branch out and do something new. And plus the podcasting becoming a thing and uh, what was already going on with audio products. And I saw, I saw this opportunity and I really wanted to work with people who were just starting out. I, when I moved to Louisiana, it was kind of a little bit of a surprise move. So one of the ways that I tried to get plugged into my new community was to volunteer. And I started volunteering for a group called Friends of the Animals, which is a dog rescue group. And I said, Hey, I would like to learn how to podcast. Can I do a podcast for your organization? It'll totally be me. I'll take care of everything. And this will be my my one of the ways that I volunteer as well as it was for me, it was going to be the way that I learned how to do the skill of podcasting. And the executive director, thank goodness, her son-in-law was involved with a Saints football podcast. So she knew what a podcast was. And she said, Catherine, you, you just knock yourself out. So I launched a podcast for Friends <laughs> of the Animals. And we did that. We I did that for uh, over 200 episodes, never missed a week. Wow. We featured adoptable dogs. And it was a great way for me to learn podcasting. I made any mistakes I made. It was totally okay. Okay. It was, I learned that steep learning curve of podcasting. And then it became a sample for to show people what I was able to do and really the power of podcasting that you're able to make connections with people through a podcast. You're able to paint beautiful pictures with your words and get really engaging content for people through a podcast. And so through this volunteer activity, I was able to then get paying clients for people who wanted to get in on podcasting. And I've been off to the races ever since. I want to hit on a couple things that you mentioned. I want to get nerdy for a second. You said mm -hmm. audio products, things yes. that people who want to get into speaking engagements, people that want to become public speakers. Obviously, public speaking took a hit over the past year. It's coming back. It'll. I, I have no doubt that Just things like will be everything. coming back. I'm going to a comedy show in July, and I'm super excited to go. Good. Um, talk more about what, what you mean by audio products. What does that mean? Oh, well, they're almost anachronistic at this point. They're, they kind of have... They've, had their heyday. I would say that podcasting and maybe YouTube videos have replaced them now. But it used to be a thing where people would create... Now, Johnny, there's a there's a small disc that was called a compact disc. It I, had was around, I was around side. for those. Okay. I, just, I don't know. I just <laughs> want to make sure. Just kidding. Just kidding. So one of the, one of the popular ways of... Before we were really saying the term content creator, people would make products. So you if you would make these... Um, you do like online pro or sorry, you would do programs where you record your message in a, D a CD, you'd have a maybe a workbook that would go with it, you would do an ebook, those kinds of things. Um, and that there was a lot of emphasis on creating courses uh, that would people would be able to buy, especially for speakers. Okay. A lot of people, a lot of the industries that that use public speakers. So I'll talk about like network marketing organizations or especially insurance. Some of these some of these organizations that bring in outside trainers, that bring in a lot of public speakers, they have a 
like an, a value throughout their organization that is about learning and always taking in new information and attitude is everything. Use your walking time to be your learning time. Use your drive time is learning time so that they're always hungry for content like audio products. Okay. That, 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 but I would really think that at this point, we don't do CDs as many more. We don't have lectures on cassette tapes. Those, it really has been passed on to things like YouTube videos and podcasting. Okay. And, and even audiobooks. I would say like Audible has taken the place of those things. So there was a time where that was more popular, but I, that's really, that's, that time has really passed. I, no one ever talks to me about doing an audio course anymore. They want to do a, either a limited series podcast or they want to do something for YouTube. Nobody that that's really just that time has passed, or like a vi- or like an e course, like a video yeah. course. Yeah, then there, there's plenty of now. There's shops that will do. You can do e- much easier to do an online course than creating it yourself. Right. Thank you for clarifying. My other yeah. <laughs> the other thing that you mentioned was when you first started out. Everyone starts at zero, so the yes. core of my show is to help people just starting out and just kind of give my thoughts on my journey these last what is it, three or four years doing this? Day one, what was your equipment set up? How did you get this first podcast off the ground? A couple of things. Well, I used a, I still, one of my favorite recorders is, uh, oh God, the Roland R. Oh, five. They don't make it anymore. I love the Roland. I still have an alert for eBay. So every once in a while, when somebody's selling theirs, I will pick it up and I, I have a small collection of them. It's the size of a pack of cards. Beautiful sound. Absolutely beautiful sound. And one of the things I really liked about it is that it the internal mic on this recorder is excellent. So because I was doing all of these recordings outside with dogs and what have you is that I could just talk directly into the recorder. It's still some of my favorite sound. So that, that I, I recommend that device to anybody, especially I've talked to a couple of people who are doing more outdoorsy things or I've, I recommended to, I'm thinking of one person in particular who was doing fitness focused podcasting and she was going to do a walk cast. So people could, she would walk and talk. So it's like, if you want to take a five minute walk, She'll have a five-minute podcast with you and wa- and talk with you while you walk. Well, she used that kind of device to speak into just great sound. So super easy, push, play, record, never any problems, ne- never any foul-ups. It was just a great device. So that was one of the equipment pieces that I used. Then to learn actually the whole start to finish, soup to nuts, podcasting, how do you get it from a raw audio to Audacity to Libsyn, how to do that. I watched the entire series of Pat Flynn on YouTube and he's got an excellent playlist of episodes on YouTube, how to podcast. I recommend that to people today who want to do it on their own. They want to do the DIY. It's very good, great examples lots of troubleshooting. It's just a very practical how-to guide that I that still stands to this day. So in the post-production side of it was, what was the learning curve like for you for editing, oh, using boy. Audacity? Because I, I've, I've looked at Audacity, I've played around with it. I personally, it's not my cup of tea. I'm a logic guy through and through. I started with GarageBand and then ultimately mm-hmm. upgraded to Logic. 
what uh, what was the learning curve like when you were on audacity did you because i know you're so focused on content when it comes to kind of the back end side of it what was your thoughts going into that because that's kind of the thing that really scares a lot of people when they start podcasting well uh, yeah it, it i think people should take it seriously i don't think people should let it let it scare them and let's just say sidebar here this is the core of both of our businesses, your and mine, because the learning curve can be steep. It's not, it is intimidating to edit. It's, it, sound quality does matter. And that is not something, even though I do focus on content, it's not something I sacrifice at all. I'm, you know, I'm proud of the sound quality that I create for my clients because it, that is the number one reason somebody's going to turn off is because the sound quality is bad. And I would say any, to, I, I, any DAW, any audio DAW with digital audio, the editing software is intimidating. So it, it, there is a learning curve to it, but once you get it, you get it. And I have to say, I've done a tiny bit of video editing. I got to say, all those years editing audio helped me just jump right into the video editing. There's a lot of intuitive logic to both of those skills that, that, the transfers, let's say. So the, yeah, it, it is a little bit intimidating. The internet is your friend. You, it is, it is a good idea to start with low stress, maybe, maybe something that you aren't going to use ultimately to just get your mistakes out. Do the thing where you accidentally delete the whole, <laughs> the whole yep. audio project or, you know, th that you l learn how to make a, an edit that is inaudible. So like, to take out any disfluencies when people say er ums, you don't have to take them all out, but know how to make an edit that is seamless because yeah. you can. All of those things are really important, but they do take time. And it is time well worth spent because it you will get faster, you'll get better, you'll produce a better product, and you'll be happier and you'll your audience will be happier which is of course ultimately where we want to go yeah and that's and that's really the biggest key is especially for why you and i have businesses that work is because the people that we work with they just don't have the time to learn this kind of stuff it, it really right. is almost like taking on a second job one oh, not yeah. only developing content that you actually have to speak I mean, your podcast can sound like the most incredible thing in the world, but if you're not saying anything, who's going to be listening? So that's one aspect of it. And then the other one is that's almost a full-time job is learning how to edit all that stuff. And the best that's advice right. that I can give is it just takes practice. You just have to do it over and over and over and over again. And you just like with anything else in life, you start at zero and you ultimately get better to where you're hiding those ums and uhs and those mouth clicks and those that kind of like you said, disfluencies and being able to mask those and hide those cleanly is is what really sets podcasts apart from the really popular shows that people listen to and sort of just the meh, okay level shows. So that's true. Let's do a quick scenario. I am a I'm a CMO at a company. My business has tasked me with hosting a podcast for the company. And I hear about Branch Out and I reach out to you. What does that initial conversation look like? And what am I getting for my time and money spent with Catherine? I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> well, the, the very first thing I would ask a potential client is, what is the goal of this show? I think that a lot of people, <laughs> that is a question they need to ask. They don't necessarily ask. 
what is the goal of the show? It, it, it is not as obvious as one might think. A lot of people, Johnny, you know this just as well as I do. A lot of people come to podcasting because podcasting is so hot right now. Or that's or everybody it's easy seems, to blow up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That, or, you know, everybody seems to be doing a podcast. Or I heard that podcasts were easy to do. That's yeah. another one where, back to your, your point just a moment ago, where people are like, how much time is involved in this show? So I, I think it's very important to assess what is the goal of the show. I also, I think that the, probably one of the best selling points for podcasting is that it is, in my opinion, the very best way for people to get to know, like, and trust you. So that makes it well worth your investment of time and energy and money by far. That is right there. The relationship that you're going to be able to create with your audience, the relationship you're going to be able to create with your potential clients or customers or what have you, that is the key to why a business would want to be doing a podcast. Now, it, after talking about the goal of the show and the no like and trust factor, then I would say, what do you envision, let's say, 25 episodes to look like? If you can't come up with 25 ideas for what an episode would be like in this podcast, maybe you're not ready to do a show. Now, you know, and hopefully everybody who's listening to this knows, I am a real believer in limited series podcasts as well as seasonal podcasts so that you're not killing yourself to do a weekly podcast if the show, if your material does not sustain that type of product. That yeah. That's totally okay. And one of the things we should be taking advantage of the flexibility of podcasting to have that limited series or to have that seasonal seasonal model. The other thing I what I personally bring so somebody who is a client of mine is that I will help them take those 25 ideas, develop them into actual episodes, help convey the story or the message of your business because storytelling is a huge part of podcasting to be able to take people from a starting point through a journey to an ending point is a, a little bit of a craft. And to be able to take people and walk them through in an episode how that would go, what kind of questions evoke that, what kind of people to talk to that evoke that sort of, that story, that's, that, all of those things are really important to having a high quality, engaging final product for your podcast. And then my also my goal is to, is to remove some of those technical concerns from their plate. I have the equipment, I have the expertise, I have the experience for those episodes so that when they when we hit end on the recording, they can not worry until I have a final a review product for them to listen to and the next thing is for it to be sent out to the world. I'm going to put you on a hot seat really quickly <gasps> and I love it. Let me know if this is too hot of a question. So, mm. you talk about developing the content for let's just say these 25 ideas. No one's an expert in everything. We kind of have the podcasting industry locked down. We, we know podcasting inside and out, but that doesn't necessarily mean if a host comes to you and is saying, I own a, like I'll talk about one of my clients, they own a bit, uh, it works in a, a bacon selling company. So they sell sugar-free bacon, um, great product. He gives you 25 ideas and do you then have to go learn about this industry to help develop out these episodes or do you rely on their expertise because they're such an expert in their industry 
How do you look at it from a content perspective? I'm trying to word this question correctly. Yeah, let me let me start my answer to yeah. see if I got it because I think I think I know where you're going. Well, first of all, I would say that I I you're right. I don't know how you knew this, but I'm not a bacon expert. So <laughs> that's good good call, Johnny Peterson. I'm not a bacon ab- expert, but I so there's some questions that I can ask to see if to make sure that we're in the ballpark. First of all, I'm I'm a curious person, so maybe I would obviously I would re- research the company. I would see like what are the frequently asked questions? What are the typical things that they're pay- maybe posting on social media? So I would try and get a feel for what this company is all about. Who are they talking to? And that's just my guess, you know, that that maybe there is a mismatch of who they're trying to talk to and what message they're sending out. Well, maybe the podcast could help with that. I could also determine like, okay, I'm, I'm in part of society. I know bacon exists. So I would be able to say like, okay, so you, if you're offering a sugar free bacon, that tells me that there's all sugar in regular bacon potentially. So now that sets up a question to say, well, why are you being different? What is the difference? Why have you made this decision to be different than the competition? How does this set you apart? There's all those natural questions that come from there. Um, If there is, I I love one of the, one of the, my favorite techniques for content development for people, and this is a great tip, is what are the questions that are most frequently asked of you and then provide an episode that answers that question. So I call this client or customer mind reading. So I'll, I'll use a real... I, let's can, If we can step away from bacon for one second. Yes, please. Uh, so we'll use a real life example of one of my clients, which is Red Stick Spice Company. It's a specialty grocery store here in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Red Stick means Baton Rouge. And so she specializes in just amazing hand-blended spices, herbs that are especially are used in our regional cooking. So highly specialized. Well, she's a spice shop. People come to her and say, how do I use spices? Now to my client, that's a strange question because she's like, what do you mean? How do you use spices? But over the years, she has determined what a person who is either new to her shop or new to cooking or new to whatever, she has determined what they mean when they ask how to use spices. Well, guess what? We have two episodes titled how to use spices to directly answer that situation for people. So we're able to fill in the gaps. She's able to mind read the clients, what they're looking for, and provide them something she knows from her experience that they will need. So sidebar on that, this this applies to any podcaster that has a podcast focused on something that is an industry that they work in. Absolutely. Having a frequently asked questions episode that saves you so much time because one of the things that I see so often with people that I work with is they come to this realization of, wow, I answer the same questions every week to new customers, clients, right. uh, potential buyers, whatever it is that you're doing every single week. It's the same 10 questions I always ask them. Now that I have it recorded, produced, and put into a podcast, I can just send that to them before we even speak. That way they have such a better idea of what it is, what are their, whether it's a service or a product or whatever it is that we're providing or trying to sell, they have a much better idea of what that is and it saves so much time and creates a much warmer open. Uh, another real life example, this is not a client of mine, it's just somebody I happen to know. So there's a podcast called Hustle Humbly and it's led by two 
top tier, top, top producing realtors. And they constantly, very friendly, but constantly get asked by people who are coming into the real real estate world, hey, can I take you out for coffee to pick your brain, right? This is very typical. I, you know, that's, there's nothing wrong with that. They literally don't have the time available to do that kind of all the coffee dates to do all the brain picking. So they put together a couple of podcast episodes that were specifically the kinds of things they know a new realtor would be asking in those brain picking coffee dates and put together a little mini series within their podcast that will answer all those initial questions. So that Whereas they might meet with somebody down the line, they've now offered them a resource to be able to get that information right away. That also kind of gauges somebody's commitment. It might be somebody's, somebody might be, have all the mojo to go on a coffee date and ask their questions. But if you want to talk to somebody after they've used one of the resources you send, maybe it's a good idea to have that podcast episode or have those pop. The, uh, that little mini series and say, I'd be happy to talk to you after you listen to those because yeah. that is a little bit of a more buy-in or commitment from somebody before you share your time with them. Yeah. And time is the most valuable thing that yeah, we have, right. which is how we try to get pot people to listen to podcasts. You're trying to exchange their time for your content. So I, I think that's a fantastic piece of advice. And I encourage everyone listening that has a podcast to consider that. Um, Let's touch back to COVID for a second. I know we love talking about the pandemic. <laughs> so COVID hits, we're probably six or eight weeks in. I'll tee up this question by giving you my personal story. That way it's not just me get, saying, Catherine, give me all the goods. I, I will, I'll put myself <laughs> on the chopping block too. So there was a three or four week period where I stopped hearing from everybody. Every single client that I was working with went dark on me, which is fine. It's understandable looking back in hindsight. I was legitimately looking for jobs. I was on LinkedIn going, all right, if this goes under, I probably have a couple months where I can sustain not hearing or having any work before I have to start making some serious decisions about what my career is going to be. And the best advice I got was from Chris Powers, the host of the Fort Podcast, my, my mentor. He said, look, everyone's running around like a chicken with their head cut off right now. Wait for the dust to settle. Don't make any rash decisions right now, like shutting down your business and trying to go find another job. Just ride it out. That's what everybody's doing right now. Everyone's just trying to figure it out. And it forced me to evolve my business because I started getting questions from new clients. Once the business started up and up and running again, thankfully, we were able to ride through the pandemic. I say we like it's some large company. Me. Um <laughs> One of the things that I was forced to do was learn video editing. And we touched on this for a second on how the experience in learning how to edit dialogue and audio transfers pretty seamlessly over to editing video. I noticed a lot of people were realizing, hey, everybody's at home. Netflix is huge. YouTube is huge. Podcasting is growing. I need to have a video aspect to my podcast. Is that something that you can provide? And my before COVID, I would I was able to get by by just saying, no, I focus primarily on audio. That's all I can do for you. It forced me, and thankfully for the, the quarantine aspect for it, forced me to teach myself how to do really basic video editing. I'm not saying I'm some great videographer at this point, right. but that has been a huge, 
benefit for my business is being able to offer something like that and be able to say, yeah, I can do a I can do a pretty basic Joe Rogan style setup, cutting back and forth between camera angles. I can show you what lighting looks like. I can show you what cameras you need to get. I can show you how to do that if you're doing it all from home or if you want to come to the studio, we have that set up for you as well. For Branch Out and your experience, Catherine, did you have to make any? Well, first, I want to say, what did your business experience something similar to that? And if so, what was that experience like? How did you get out of it? And then secondly, what changes did you have to make to your core business, if any at all? Did COVID force you to change your business strategy and how you approach clients? Well, I'll start by saying, I think that you, because we are part of a podcast producers group, you really modeled for me. I I realize now I was being a little bit too stubborn about the video thing. And I actually have some comments maybe we can get to in a, in a minute here about that is that I, I think that I was being obstinate about video is like, there is, I have a little bit of a snobbery side to me about podcasting. Podcasting is audio and, yeah. it, you know, it's best listened to in the car and, you know, all those, <laughs> I have, I have my opinions and, but you're right, is that I, I don't want to be saying no to my clients if I don't have to. So maybe I should start positioning myself to where I don't have to say no to my clients. If they, uh, not that I, I, similar to you, I, not that I, am or can be a, an amazing videographer that I don't want to have to say no if that's what the market's demanding if my clients are demanding it what even things like developing clips for social media that having a teaser on Instagram stories a lot of businesses that is a huge huge connection point for them so why should I be in a point where I'm saying no all the time for that so I've been I admittedly was very slow to that but I'm I'm seeing now especially with your your very good example your very good professional example that you're setting for me is that it is possible and just to get over myself and just get to it I did have a very similar trajectory that you were just describing the one thing that I did and it and it I, it did take a little bit of um, determination on my part, it kind of hurt, honestly, to not hear from some clients, even when I reached out to them. So my my tactic was to I just said, "Hello, every you know, I, I send individual emails or individual calls or whatever, whatever our normal way of communicating is." Is I just reached out and I tried to make a point of just a point to say, "Hello, I'm here. If you if you would like to do something." to just get, send a special message to your audience, I'm happy to do that for you. And I was willing to do that complimentary because I really believed it was important to just maintain a connection with people. I also heard from clients that we're just going to wait and see how things are going. There was a lot of that. And honestly, that re reemerged in October and November because of the election. I also saw that a lot of people were just holding off the same sort of like, let's wait and see that we saw right when the pandemic was breaking. I saw that again in October and November. So it was that was just sort of interesting to take note of. Um, but yeah, I just, I really wanted to take, make sure that I was staying in contact and making an offer to create a correct connection point for for the clients, just to, to stay in touch with the audience and to, to, maintain that relationship. I just was a moment ago singing the praises of the no like and trust relationship. So let's do something that stays, makes sure that you're staying in touch with people. 
Yeah, and I totally agree. And it seems like we had similar experiences because in my mind, it was like, what's the first thing? When I was deep in the deep in the dark place of like thinking everything was going under, it was, well, what's yeah. if everyone has to tighten their belt, what's the easiest thing for them to cut? Their podcast editor. Right. But then you talk about the no like and trust factor of it. These shows have built up a significant audience. Doesn't matter if it's right. 50 people, doesn't matter matter if it's 5,000 people. They have come to expect to hear your voice weekly, monthly, seasonally, whatever it is. And to, to kind of just drop that out of nowhere isn't exactly fair to them. And I think a lot of the clients that we work with realize that, hey, I really in, actually enjoy doing my podcast. It's a sense of normalcy. And it's a way to kind of get a lot of these things that I'm feeling with either off my chest or kind of hit that escapism bubble bubble for not only myself, but for my listeners of this is a way that you can escape from all the craziness going on in the world, whether it's the pandemic, whether it's the election, whatever it is. So I'm glad that we both came on the outside of it. Did, did you have to, besides the video piece, did you have to adjust anything else in terms of we'll hit on this topic of something that's become much more acceptable now is remote interviews, remote podcasting, people podcasting from home. I know that you are, you don't have a studio, but you are the, you're the businesswoman that will go to the place, help them set up and be there in person. Did you have to change any of that in terms of I can now produce remotely? Did you have to learn any of that from the remote interviewing side? What did you find worked best? for your clients. Oh, oh yeah. The every, and I, it was not nearly the steep of a learning curve as the overall podcasting, but now and I would say any any experienced podcast producer is just tremendously talented at remote, remote <laughs> <laughs> interviewing. This has just really become uh, I ever that's another thing everybody had to get over. There there is a little bit of a Oh, you know, there is something created when two people are together in the same spot talking about it, talking about anything that is different than doing a remote interview. But oh, well, <laughs> circumstances necessitated something else. So now we're all super prolific at, at, at and talented at doing our remote interviewing. We know that we know somebody professionally who sends microphones to people. I don't know how many times I had to tell people, uh, okay, an echoey room that other people are in talking is not an appropriate venue to be recording your podcast. But, you know, oh, well, sidebar. Okay, let's let's do a little public service announcement. If you're somebody who is interviewed frequently for podcasts, yeah, I what, recommend What are some getting... best practices? <laughs> if you're if you're going even if you don't have a podcast, if you're interviewed, if you're the interviewee on podcasts, I would like to suggest you invest in a mic. Doesn't have to be like to it doesn't have to be a sure SM7B, just no. a USB microphone, not a blue yeti, Correct. but just a USB microphone that plugs into your computer. Yes, absolutely. I'm, I'm, yes, absolutely. And earphones, just the, the, the most basic things. I would even be happy with ear, earbuds that have a mic on it as opposed to the internal mic of your laptop. So it, if you're going to be interviewed, it's that for under $100, you could be set up for just tremendous success for how you sound on a podcast. Would you not agree, Johnny? Peter? I would agree. And you only have to spend that once. And um, the people that listen to this show, they know that I've recommended dozens of, well, not dozens, a handful of mics over the years right. 
that are really affordable. They sound great. And it makes you more desirable as a guest. Don't you want to be the person that's like, dang, that that Catherine sounded great. And you sound fantastic, by the way. We can talk about our equipment oh, nice. setups at the end. Um, dang, that Catherine sounds great. Uh, I would love to have her on my podcast because it just improves the overall quality and the listening experience of my show to have someone like that versus someone that's yelling into their speakerphone or into their laptop. I also learning is one of the one of the ways that I I know that we, you and I are using Zencaster right now for our this discussion. Zoom is very popular. I don't think there's anything wrong with using Zoom for remote recording. Just learning the internal settings that can make that recording so much better learning just learning again trial by error trial by error oh you can you can you can have the podcast sorry you can have the audio recorded onto separate tracks do that oh there's an advanced audio settings panel okay explore that so just getting into all of those and seeing what's available I did not find the instructions let's say for zoom very you know the the support desk I did not find that very helpful so just asking the old internet for other people who have gone before and learning how to where those settings are to be able to switch things to a higher audio fidelity or to make sure that you're recording into separate tracks all of those things and just getting getting it all set up for success knowing <laughs> knowing when you record where that recording goes yeah. <laughs> that's you know just even small things like that that's just so stressful I think everybody who does this type of recording has that moment of panic when the interview's over, you hit stop, and then you know whatever the internal workings are, where it's converting the file or whatever, and you're just like, oh please, just let it let it save to wherever it's supposed to save to the cloud or save to this computer. Just that moment of panic of just waiting for those things things to go. And, I feel like I lost where we were going. Yes. And another kind of overlooked aspect of this all is just having a great internet connection. So <laughs> yeah, what I'm doing right now, and I've mentioned this on on previous episodes, is so I I moved the Wi-Fi box into the studio because pre-COVID we weren't doing any remote interviews, if, if any, and if they were, right. they were they were phone calls that we were recording, which worked fine. Um, so I moved the Wi-Fi box in here, that worked okay, and then I started to realize that a wireless connection wasn't exactly cutting it. We were still getting the lag. Right either Zoom or Zencaster, didn't matter the platform. We were still getting this stupid lag. And it sucks. It sucks for me as an editor to have to try and hide as many of those as possible if I don't have to. So what I did is I just went on Amazon and I found uh, Ethernet, a really the best best quality Ethernet cable I could find. It was probably 20 bucks, totally worth it. Bought that. The highest quality Ethernet to USB-C port that I could find bought that I actually bought three of them and I'm happy I did because one of them one of them glitched out on me and I had to on the fly switch to another one and I just hardwired the ethernet cable right into my laptop and we haven't had any lag at all I mean the picture's a little blurry on my end but that's okay we're not doing video here but the audio is really clean I'm picking up really great audio from your end and it's just little things like that that you don't you don't necessarily look at but if from a guesting perspective if you can have those things in the bag and ready to go. It makes the experience of being on that podcast so much better. You come off much more professionally. You seem more like, even if you don't know what the hell you're talking about, you seem like you do to a certain extent just by virtue yeah. of your audio sounding great. So it's sort of those little things that, it, which is why we exist to help people mm -hmm. figure those things out. So 
I don't really know where we were going with that either. We kind of went off on a well, tangent. I mean, the, I think that the the remote, I, I do think that there was a little bit of a bias towards in-person recording mm -hmm. that has been broken down to some degree so that there is more opportunity to be on shows or to be a guest in a remote recording setup. Set so the I would say the bottom line is that everybody should be prepared for that, that you should be prepared to do a not a remote recording, even if you're not only the, a host of a podcast, but if you're a guest, that is you use this time now to be to get prepared. I will say one other thing. I, here we are over a year later, I'm still learning new things. So for example, one of the one of the hits on zoom people, one of the, the criticisms that people use for zoom recording audio is that it's common to see things out of sync. Well, literally last week, so here we are a year into this, last week, I finally learned what that is. If some, if you're recording on Zoom, you, let, me, let me take a step back. If we're in a meeting in Zoom, the common courtesy is if you're not speaking that you mute yourself, right? We've yes. all been in Zoom meetings where you mute yourself. Well, when you're recording, Zoom has a quirk where it stops your audio right there. That's what causes the thing to be out of sync. So I had no idea. Everybody's complaining about Zoom. You know, you, you out of out of nowhere, you'll have a, a piece of audio that's not near, not at all in the place it's supposed to be. Well, it's because that person muted themselves, and it stopped their audio, and then started up and put it on the track where they where they left off when they they muted. Well, okay, that's so now that's just simple uh, because I'm having it recorded onto separate tracks. When you're doing a recording on Zoom, do not mute yourself. Go against the normal meeting protocol and just don't mute yourself. We'll clear it, clean it up afterwards if there's sound on your track. But to keep things in sync, everybody just needs to lay off the mute. And, well, that's, the yeah. and that's the reason why we do the separate tracks at all is to remove yeah. those background noises like that. So you, you, you have a two-way street. You can either have it all recorded onto the same track and you have... Uh, you have Ali's dog back barking in the background the entire time. <laughs> you have Jim's air conditioner is the loudest thing ever. And then you have right. Paul who's clicking his pen throughout the entire recording. <laughs> or you go the route oh, of Jim. or you go the route of they're muting themselves and the audio is completely out of sync. But if you have that conversation with your clients or podcasters, you have that conversation with your guest of listen, we're recording this on separate tracks for a reason. It's because your dog is barking in the background. It's because your pen is clicking all the time, which I would just tell you to stop. Um, and it's because your air conditioner is so loud. It's because when you're not speaking, we cut that out in post anyway. That's why it's recorded on separate tracks. We can either manually snip it out or we just mute it using the automation tool in post-production. So I, I, I found... I just learned that too. I saw a video about it on LinkedIn and I tweeted it out and I was like, that's why, because I have clients that's that do why. that and I have a 60 minute audio file and the guest or the host only comes out to 27 minutes because they're muting themselves in between every question. And, you know, it's not the end of the world. If you have an experienced editor like you, me, Jag or Matt uh, working on your podcast, sure, it might take 30 extra minutes to, to figure that out. It's and, just and, and it's just time. Um, but it is, you know, it's it's the thing that I put out last or uh, this podcast that I put out last week in the video. It's edit smarter or host smarter, not harder. So mm. um, I would like to um, I'm going to steal take over your interview here for a second please. and jump forward in the into 2020, the end. 
a little bit on the no like and trust and some of the good things about podcasting. I wonder, Johnny, one of the things that really stood out to me that is a tried and true result of podcasting, let's say. So one of the benefits of podcasting is I know that on a lot of the shows that I regularly listen to, that listeners have reached out to the host and said, hey, you really helped me get through this hard time. Hey, your show, I can't tell you how much your show means to me. I This has been a real lifesaver for the past whatever time. And that has been, I would say that hopefully is one of the long lasting effects of uh, this past year is that you know, on on you can call it, of course, it is the parasocial relationship. So it's the sense that people feel like they're in a relationship with the hosts of the show or the the guests of the show. They feel like they're in a relationship. There's some downsides to that, obviously, but just to see the positive impact that people can have on the rest of you know, to uh, the positive impact that people can have on others through their podcast is just really there's something special about it. And I'm sure you heard that sort of sentiment. And it's just something I think that should be cherished and really re- honored by people who are involved in podcasting. And you know it when you feel Thoughts. it. And 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 it it only takes one time for that to happen for you to really feel what that's like. And I, you're right. I've, I've had people tell that to me about my podcast. I've had it more often happen to clients that I'm working with. And it's really great to hear too, because from the editing and production standpoint, when I see people really tout a podcast that I worked on. They're not necessarily praising me, but it makes me feel so good. And from a hosting standpoint, all it takes is impacting one person positively to keep them going forward to be like, okay, I have a reason. I have my goal. Like we talked about at the beginning, you have your one goal as to why you're doing this podcast, but that is a really, really awesome benefit as well to help keep that passion for this growing and going forward. Because you're right, it is is really special when someone tells you that what you said or something that you did had a positive effect on them, even though you don't know them and you may never have crossed paths with them. It's really special. I agree. Okay. Going forward, let's talk about future goals as we wrap this up. What does Branch Out look like today? Where do you envision this going forward? Let's say five years out, where do you see yourself? I'm going to start answering that question by saying, let's, I wanted to, one of the things I wanted to talk about when we were getting together here is one of the threats I see for podcasting. So if we were going to do a SWOT analysis of, of podcasting, one of the things that is and for, going to be for a people that for people that don't know what that is, oh. SWAT is a is a Strengths, is a weakness, book yeah. learning thing. Right. It's a book learning school thing. <laughs> strengths, weak strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats, and you build that around a specific industry topic, business person, and so this will be built around podcasting. So please, yeah. So for a threat that's coming forward, and maybe we should just well, let's soften it and say challenge. I think one of the challenges to podcasting going forward is the what people are going to be expecting and what people, I mean, the audience, what your audience is going to be expecting and demanding going forward in the same way that social media has altered things that you can see 
tweets happening in real time. You can see Facebook posts happening in real time for, for a particular event. I really think that live streaming is going to become more and more of a, of a venue for people to reach out to their audiences. And I, so I'm, I'm wondering what that's going to do to podcasting. Podcasting is much more of a, or it can be, a polished product that has all those erzums, that has storytelling devices that can have sound effects that can all of those things. Whereas live streaming is now, 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 right now, you're, you're in a conversation with your audience. There are plenty of people who have podcasts, maybe a more polished product, finished product, and then they do live streaming and the live streaming is raw. It's minute to minute. There is no editing. There's no nothing. It's dynamic. And then it's done. And people still take it in. I, I think that the impact that live streaming is having is going to be probably the biggest challenge to podcasting in the future. That's just so, my assessment. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Well, let me push back on it a little bit. So okay. I I agree that live streaming is 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 as a up and coming tool. It's a very positive tool. We saw that with sort of the the mini rise of Clubhouse and its ultimate demise because Twitter was able to immediately copy their software. Um, the problem that I have with that statement is that when you live stream something, and this this will tie in at the end because this is this mm. is not an absolute statement. When you live stream something, you are limiting, rather it's a nicer way of saying you're kneecapping your audience because if I'm doing an interview with you, Catherine, and we are live streaming this at 11 o'clock on a Wednesday, everyone's at work right now. How right. we would have to either do it after work and then people are dealing with kids, people are recording their own podcast, people have all sorts of stuff going on. I think the benefit of podcasting is that people can choose when they want to consume the content. I can go listen to something from three years ago that was put out and it sounds great. It's still relevant information and I really enjoy it. But if it was just put out as a live stream, I can't necessarily listen to it again, or even know that it existed. Now, the way that it's not an absolute statement is that people can take those live streams and place them on their podcast feed. And you can still clean them up in post. You can still produce them in post, which is great. So I agree that live streaming is is something that people need to pay attention to. I think that people should start incorporating it more. Let me get your thoughts on this. This is something that I've been thinking about a lot recently. So the exclusive content thing is huge. Patreon. Uh, Apple Podcasts is doing it now. Spotify is doing it now. And and we're seeing a lot more people get into this idea of subscriptions to podcasts. Personally, I hate paying for Hulu, Amazon Prime, Disney Plus. I don't like that because I would much rather pay five bucks a month for a podcast that I love, me, that I love, rather than for 10,000 shows where I'm only going to watch four of them. So something that ties into live streaming that I think is really interesting is Twitch. And I think that mm -hmm. if there was a Twitch for content creators, because Twitch is really cornered the market of video games, there are there are other Twitch channels out there that are for non-video game playing. But instead of having a Patreon where you're giving out an extra episode a week, if you just went live with one of your episodes every Wednesday night 
and you just li- streamed it live on Twitch, people can donate money in real time. People do it on YouTube all the time. I I, mm-hmm. I watch a great uh I watch a great uh kind of pop culture show that goes live every Friday, and they are taking five hundred dollar donations every five minutes, and it's 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 a great way to monetize your podcast if you have that kind of monetizable audience. So I think that there's a tie in there between bridging the gap between exclusive content, live streaming, and podcasting because you can still take that live stream and drop it into your podcast afterwards. What are your thoughts there? Okay, so uh, counterpoint to your counterpoint, okay. which was I. I I watch tons of live streams, not live. So when I by live stream, I mean that they have created a live thing. So as you described, but almost they, especially on YouTube, they sit on YouTube as part of their video content. Yeah. And that again, that they might they might rip the audio and then offer that on their podcast feed. But I watch plenty of live streams, not live. So is the, just, is the threat then it, is the threat then to us specifically as podcast producers? Yes. Okay. Uh, yeah, because I think that people are becoming more and more acclimated to that raw okay. presentation. And and I'll say this: I do believe it's a different thing. So I I a podcast is is delivers one type of content, a live stream, I know to expect something different. But as just in the same way that people are acclimated to hearing somebody speak on Zoom as as a recording for an audio, for a podcast episode, I think people are acclimating to the rawness of live streaming and they like it. So that's, I think that's part of the the threat there. And, And you're right. I mean, the whole point is we don't want to we don't want to be time bound. I, we don't do that anymore. That's just not part of the, that's not what people do. You listen yeah. on demand when it's convenient for you, when, when you, when it, you have time or what you, when you're going on your walk or when you want, are doing the laundry or whatever it is. Um, yeah. So the, just to be aware of that. And, uh, and I do think that the, the super chat phenomenon is, it's incredible. People, a lot of times, it's, it, sometimes I watch live streams. I can't believe the amount, the donations that are coming it's in. Bizarre. I think it's, it's great. It's insane. It's, it's amazing, but it's such an incredible phenomenon. I do believe that that, that live streaming is, is going to be a challenge for podcasting. I don't think that podcasting is dying anytime soon. I think it will just change what people's expectations are for a podcast. And that that's a good thing. That's going to bring extra polish or extra storytelling, or yeah. it's not just not just an interview that there that you we are able to give something different with a podcast. And I think that that might become some of the defining features is that it has that extra special glow. It has that something different that a podcast can offer that you don't necessarily get from a live stream. Okay. Counterpoint to your counterpoint to my counterpoint. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're focused right now on the audience expectations. Let's think about, let's turn the tables a little bit. What about the host's expectations or the guest's expectations? Something that I hit on every time when a podcaster comes in or especially a guest comes in, I go, hey, this isn't live. Don't crap your pants. If you screw up, it can, it's going to be edited out. If you say something that could potentially get you or your company or something in trouble and you realize it in real time or after the fact <laughs> before, a, before an episode goes out, you let us know and that gets edited out completely. So yes, live streaming is huge, but I think that there's also a, a demand out there for 
especially with the way the culture is going. People get in mm. trouble for a lot of things now. Mm. With the way the culture is going, I think that guests will be more willing to come on if they know that they have that baby safety net of it's okay, it's not live. We have about a week before this is going to go out. But I agree. There's a. T- I would love to do a weekly live stream. I I think that our podcast producer group. I think that we should stream live all the time. And we've talked about yeah, doing it. We just haven't pulled it. the trigger on it. But I think that there is a segment of the content creators out there that are built for that. And I think that there's a segment of the population where where I the field that I play in is business interviews. That's the field that I play in. And there's a great. Right a great worry out there of saying something that is detrimental to either that individual's career or to their company or to their livelihood that could get them in trouble for saying the quote unquote wrong thing. So, um, having that out, I think is something that is, is a huge boon to podcasting because you can still get your message out there. You get the benefits of being able to polish it, add in those, uh, features like show notes, timestamps, hyperlinks Mm -hmm. to everything in real time. Uh, as you're consuming the content and reading through, um, but you get that that baby safety net of we have some control over what's going to go out there. Well, you better have a really good relationship with people that they honor your desire to <laughs> yeah. take those. I mean, I'm not kidding. Uh, speaking of some of the cultural situation, is if somebody wants to get you, they're going to try and get you. Yeah, so that's, that's true. Yeah, you and know, from that, a pro- that, and from a producer standpoint, that's just that's a that's a morality thing. That's an ethics thing of ethical, do you yeah. do you want to work with somebody that's going to be doing this gotcha stuff? Like I personally, I don't want to be part of something where it's like we're going to expose this person and we're going to get them canceled or 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 whatever. Like I, I that that then that's a whole different story of things like that. But you're right, there are people right. out there that you need to watch out for that. And if you're going to guests on podcasts. One of the things that's one of the things that I hit on a lot is if you're going to be a podcast guest, you should at least listen to one or two episodes of the show you're going on. Because what if you go on a show and one, you want to know what their style of interviewing is like. You want to know kind of what their vibe is, what the kind of questions they're going to ask. And that also plays into the negative aspect of that is they could try to do a gotcha question and get you screwed over. So that's something that's that's out there too. And that's something that I think about a lot. I don't think it's going to be the death of podcasting, but I think a real problem with the way our culture has of, I call it the tattletale culture. Um, Mm -hmm. A real problem that's affecting is real in podcasting is people are much more hesitant to come on podcasts because they just say, look, the way things are right now, it's not worth it for me to give you an hour of my time. That's going to be something out there forever that could get me canceled 10 years down the line. I'm not seeing that to an extent to where it's affecting people that work in podcasting like you and me, but it's definitely something to be aware of. It's definitely in the air. Yeah. Yeah. I'll say this too. um, The, some of the expectations of, of guests or what have you, you were just saying, like, for example, I, uh, I I was expecting an adversarial, hard hitting interview from you, Johnny. I just thank you for letting me off the hook. You really could have destroyed me tonight, <laughs> yeah. yesterday, but phew, I seem to be making it out okay. Uh, also, you'll notice I brushed my hair because I didn't know if you were going to be using this video or not. So I was prepared as if you were. I hope you did take note of that. I did. Please. I did. I just yeah. didn't. I didn't want to be. Uh... I didn't want to cross any lines, but you you look great, Catherine. I appreciate it. <laughs> oh, thanks. Yeah. Well, yeah, but I mean, I to your to your overall point, I was prepared for anything. I tried to be prepared for anything. So, yeah. Yeah, and it's and we've we've hit on 
we've hit on a lot of kind of like heavier stuff in the end. We talked about COVID. We've talked about sort of the downsides of what being on a podcast is really like. But at the end of the day, I mean, I mm. think that there are far more positives than negatives in this space. It is so fun. Like, it, oh, call yeah. it an ego thing, but I just love talking into the mic. I love talking to people every single day. I love sitting at this desk that I'm at now and watching the smartest people that I've ever met talk about things that they're really smart about, how they made their money, how they built their career, mistakes that they've made. I've learned so much in the past three years about a million different industries that I never would have gotten the chance to to learn about. And I'm sure you've done the same, especially with uh, Red Stick Strong, which I want to give you a chance to plug because you're getting the chance to brush up on your hosting skills. You're getting the chance to talk about, talk to (laughs) business leaders uh, in the Louisiana area and especially small business leaders. Have you found that to be, to be the case of you just get to learn so much and it's just such a fun thing to do. And then talk a little bit about Red Stick Strong and what that has not only done for you, but for just bringing about awareness for small businesses in Baton Rouge. Well, yeah, absolutely. It, it it is a different hat to be a host, as you well know, and it it is a specific skill to be asking questions that evoke answers that are meaningful. And yeah, like I was saying before, I podcasting is not dead by any means. There is something very special about it, and it, but it does take a lot of practice, trial and error, to get to the point where you're able to produce compelling content over a long period of time. One of the things that I did during the pandemic was I launched a show called Red Stick Strong for my community. This was a community-focused podcast for small businesses, as you mentioned, Johnny. And because I wanted to highlight how people were pivoting and how people were adjusting and how people were not giving up and how they were going to fight on and to really get people to be able to promote what they were doing. Now, I I took on the mode of asking people the same four questions. That's a that's a technique. Uh, John Lee Dumas does that with his po- podcast. It's, you know, it's one of the kind of the cool things is that you can ask the same question to 100 people and you will get 100 different responses. But it really was to give a chance to people to talk about what they were doing for their business and specifically how people could still patronize those businesses because I believe in small business and I wanted to make sure that people knew how to get in touch with their their local small businesses here in the Baton Rouge area. It it's been it was really gratifying and gratifying like you said. It's very it's good to learn uh, and it's also I'm the type of person where I get a lot of energy from people other people putting up the good fight, that is really inspiring to me. And it helps me to not uh, go down without swinging at least. <laughs> and uh, so I, I do think that that's important to, to talk to pe- people on that level. Uh, one of the, I did talk to a couple of people that were a little bit off, you know, a little bit different than normal. Like for example, um, one of the, one of the people I talked to, he was sharing about his perspective of community. He was a former incarcerated person. So he um, spent 14 years in prison. And uh, Louisiana, I don't know if you know this, is the top. We have the number one incarceration rate in the country. And 
the United States has the number one incarceration rate in the world, which means Louisiana is worldwide uh, some of the you know the top uh, incarceration rates. So just to talk to somebody who was newly released and his views on community and what he how he wanted to be of service to the community now that he was out of prison, that was a really interesting story. That that episode literally changed people's lives. That I I won't share all the details, but there that was a life changing story for some people to hear, and that there is nothing in my life that I could do that would produce that kind of. Um, I don't want I don't want to use the word impact again. <laughs> that, that would that would produce that kind of result. There's nothing I could do. Uh, that would that would have that kind of influence on somebody. So what an honor! What an honor to be able to talk to somebody in a way we did. Not, it was difficult because I I did not ignore the fact that there was a victim to this particular crime. Uh, so we did not gloss that over. You know, over that that was really uh, a challenge, and um, it but it worked out really really well. So I. What other opportunity would I have in my life to do something like that? It's very unusual, and I don't ever want to take that for granted. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. I highly encourage everyone to check out Red Stick Strong, hosted by the Catherine O'Brien, and I'm sure it's everywhere where podcasts are available. Yes. <laughs> um, before we go, just run everybody through what your equipment setup is right now, because your audio is great. The lighting is fantastic. What microphone are you using? Give me the give me the deets of Catherine O'Brien's setup right now because you are podcasting from home, and yep. this I think would be beneficial to people who are podcasting from home just to hear different types of equipment, microphones, whatever your setup is. Absolutely. Well, we are using ZenCaster to record this. That is you. That's not my equipment at all. But thank you for being my host with the most, Johnny. <laughs> uh, I'm speaking into an Audio-Technica 2100, which I recommend. I love... One of the things I love about this microphone is that it has XLR or USB. So the USB goes right into my computer, my laptop. Uh, the XL, uh, XLR can go into the Zoom not not Zoom the web hosting, but Zoom a Zoom recorder, digital recorder, or into a mixing board. So that is a nice feature to have. I highly recommend this mic because it is under a hundred dollars. Also, I'm using a boom arm. Did you want to interrupt? No. I'm using a boom arm because it's great to have the mic right in a position that you like. I'm able to adjust that as needed. Um, and those are two easy things that for, like I said, under $100, anybody who is interviewed on podcast uh, on a podcast or live stream or anywhere, that would be, serve them ex extremely well. And how is your room set up? Do you have soundproofing panels? What's the size of the room? How does, how does that all work? Because I don't hear any echo at all yes. from you and um, would love to hear that part of it. Sure. Well, this is my home studio and I pre-pandemic I would occasionally record people in here as but as you mentioned I do also one of the things I offer clients um, to do the recording. In this room I purchased a specifically sound muffling curtains. So it's it's a small room, it's probably 10 by 10, uh, maybe 10 to 12 by 10 to 12, let's say. It's somewhere in there. And so around each of the walls, I have sound muffling curtains that I got off Le Amazon. And then for the ceiling, I uh, there are the acoustic tiles that are on the ceiling because as soon as it was like magic, as they, 
as soon as I hung up the sound muffling curtains, then every sound was bouncing off the ceiling like you would not believe. We have, I do have a, a thin mat on the floor because we do have a, engineered floors, um, but the, the acoustic tile on the ceiling just made a huge difference and really brought a warm sound to this whole, whole setup. The person is Catherine O'Brien. The company is Branch Out Programs and the podcast is Red Stick Strong. Catherine, thank you so much for joining me today. It was great not only catching up, but just getting all this stuff recorded and put out there. I love talking podcasting and I especially love talking podcasting with you. Thank you so much for having me.